Oh, isn't that great to see a young person using their gifts, God-given gifts, to worship Him? So thankful for that. Thank you, Addie. Thanks for blessing us with that today. Hi, I'm Simon, one of the pastors that gets to serve you here at Hinsdale Covenant Church. Uh, and, and as we said already, welcome to our Sunday Kids Camp Kids. You're listening great. I see it. Uh, that's awesome. If you uh, want to help uh, stay focused in the blue bin, there were some handouts that are related to the, today's teaching. It's a crossword puzzle that I made on there, so you can start, but it's uh, books of the Bible, and uh, you can even maybe see if you can stump your parents with that too, so those are available just to keep our hearts and minds focused. But I want to focus on God's Word this morning. I have a reading to you uh, for you from Colossians chapter 1. Maybe familiar text for some of you. It starts in verse 3. We're going to look through that in verse 6. And it begins this way. It says, In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel, that has come to you just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you be to God. Yes. It's a fascinating text. It's brought me to tears at many times in my life because it's such a beautiful encouragement to know that we're being prayed for and to see the gospel bearing fruit in the world and in our hearts. But I have to ask, as we look at this text and we consider that idea of the word of truth, the gospel bearing fruit, not only in our lives, not only in the church, but in the whole world. And I have to ask myself, is that still true? Is that still true? Is the gospel being received as God's word of truth that's intended not just for the people here in the church, but for the whole world in the farthest reaches and even as close as our own cities? What about today? What about the, the rebel, uh, re relevance of the biblical story of redemption in today's modern world, which has mostly hope in itself rather than for something else otherworldly? In short, do we even need to listen to the voice of the Bible anymore? We're going to explore that question with wonder and awe and, and reverence to truth in the Spirit. Let me pray as we take on this big topic this morning. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you already for the worshipful expressions we've experienced in kind of multifacets and multi-generations, Father, from the prelude and the worship and the dance. And now as we consider your word, God, do what I cannot do. Open our ears, our hearts, and our thoughts to uh, glorify you, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. So our series is called Wonder. We began just last week exploring the deep questions of faith and life. And we began last week talking about the relationship between faith and science, faith and God. Like, is there a relationship? And ironically, we had technical difficulties in the second service, which, you know, like the magic of modernity, we were able to fix. We got a new computer. I have a brand new clicker that really works, hopefully really works. So see that? Problem solved. 
No, but there's a relationship there. You continue to explore those teachings. But we are going to be exploring big, big topics like this. Today we're going to talk about, is the Bible still relevant? Is the Bible still relevant in our modern culture? And I'm going to be honest with you, there are many signs that it is not. I'm going to talk more about that, as well as Scripture's continuing invitation for us to find ourselves in the unfolding story of God as told in His Word. Next week, we're going to continue exploring this in a different way, talking about the difference, is there, between morality and righteousness. What is the difference between morality and righteousness? Then we're going to continue, big question, deep question, can someone say they love God? Can we say we love God, but not the church? The answer may actually surprise you. Then we're going to talk about the big question, often the one I, I hear from those who are really struggling to believe or, or super resistant to believe, as I was at one point in my life, the big question about pain and suffering. How can we have pain and suffering in a world and yet still hold on to the existence of a God who is good and all-knowing and, and supposed to be there for us? And then we'll conclude the series looking at the great mystery of faith as demonstrated several times in the Testaments, the great mystery of faith being Christ and the gospel. When I get back to this question about the Bible and its relevance, I have to tell you my short story with the Bible was that for most of my life, it was this kind of weird, mysterious book that some people, very few people in my life, paid uh, almost seemingly too much attention to. I had a couple of people in my, my life just growing up that maybe would quote it kind of at random, and they seemed, you know, one uh, relative of mine often carried hers with her. And I thought, that was a little strange. I don't know of anyone else carrying another book around. Although, honestly, you know, we had one in our house. It was a big one, real thick one, um, and we never touched it. It was just kind of always there. It was like the family Bible. So there was this kind of weird sort of mystery to it. I just didn't know what it was or what I was supposed to do with it. Um, but then, as a young adult, you know, you may know my story, I came to faith in a pretty significant way, and it was shortly after that I began to go to church. And I think that because that was surprising to me, too. I'm, I'm now going to church. I'm one of those people. And I remember going to church the first couple of times and some of the elders coming up to me in like what have been like the garden court type thing um, before and after service. And they would say, hey, Simon, we're so excited that you're here. Uh, we heard about, you know, your new faith. But I got to tell you, man, you got to read your Bible. And I was like, what? Yeah, you got to read your Bible. You got to read your Bible. Okay. That went on for a little while. They kept asking me, like, hey, are you reading your Bible yet? Are you reading your Bible? I, uh, sure, yes, yes. I will start reading the Bible. It was one of those times, uh, and it, not that long ago, where it felt like more and more people, and maybe it was just the church, more and more people came with Bible kind of tucked under arm as they came into church. It was maybe that. I don't know how they're doing today. I'm, not been there on a Sunday in a while, if it's still that kind of church where people carry their Bibles. But when you talk about relevance of Scripture today, and, and for the time that I came to faith, which is a little over, you know, 20-ish years ago, there's been a great change. In the, and the news I have for you this morning is not very encouraging. Uh, according to some recent, see these clickers, according to some recent stats, I'm pointing right at, there it is. <laughs> according to some recent data, 77% of adults in the U.S. have access to a Bible, but less than 40% of them are reading it, even 
three or four times a year. People have them, not a lot of people reading them, not a lot of people reading them with much frequency. Three to four times a year. Now, here's a really strange one. During the COVID years, last couple of years, right, not that long ago, during the COVID years, approximately 25 million people gave up reading the Bible. What's kind of odd about that is also people were downloading the Bible app and the Bible still remained at a hot seller. People have them, but again, they're not reading them. They're not spending much time. Now, that's the U.S. in general, because I'm talking about is the Bible still relevant in kind of our modern Western culture? So that's why I, I, I first of all, open this up from like all the U.S., but actually the statistics, yes, they're higher, of course, for people who would say they're believers or maybe attend church more regularly, that the, the averages are much higher, but that's still in decline. Less and less people engaging in scripture in the church, outside the church, believers or non-believers. And the number one reason, the number one reason people say they don't read the Bible is because they don't have time. They don't have time. No time which I find is especially ironic because isn't the promise of having faith in Christ is that we get unlimited time? Like we get eternal life, forever life. And yet it still feels when it comes to reading scripture on a regular basis that we don't have time. That's the number one reason. The number one reason among younger people like young adults, even teenagers, is that they just, they will say, be honest, I don't know where to start. I mean, it's kind of a mysterious book. And I just don't know where to really begin. Besides that, not enough time and don't know where to begin, the Bible receives more and more criticism all the time in, in kind of our Western culture. It's for one, being out of date. Uh, one uh, used to, to bring harm. This is an interesting headline. Prince Harry was smacked over the head with his Bible for being naughty. It's often argued that it is historically inaccurate. There's a headline there that, you know, according to archaeological research, Israel, Israelites did not wipe out the Canaanites. They were using DNA evidence. It, it turned out, though, that it was really interpretive. Again, we talked about that last week with science. It wasn't the person that did the research. It was someone interpreting their data that said that it actually didn't really come out that way. But you will hear these kind of headlines. Um, typically, the scriptures are criticized for being biased. The Bible is biased because it was uh, prepared for and encouraged by people who were in historic power. The Bible sometimes gets misaligned because it is harmful. It's considered sometimes harmful or even dangerous in today's culture, which is more accepting and more permissive. Hasn't always been this way. I think back to like um, not that long ago, at the turn of the millennium, a few of you were there, Life magazine produced a list of the top 100 most significant events of the previous 1,000 years, some significant things that helped shape world culture and Western culture and progress. And the number one thing that they listed as having the most influence and the last thousand years, by far, was Gutenberg printing the Bible. Number one. Now, you might think is what I did. Oh, it was, yeah, because he invented the printing, right? He was able to do the mass printing. That's why, because now we have, like, lots of books. Actually, that wasn't it. 
Uh, the Chinese had beaten him to printing mass quantities of books, like more than 100 years before that. They had thousands of books they were printing. It wasn't the fact that he was able to print the Bible. It was that he was printing the Bible and that it was able to be distributed and put in the hands of people that they were saying that has had the greatest influence in shaping culture than ever before because the Bible was a resource that had more cultural influence than any other event or any other resource that has ever been released in human time. But that was at the turn of the millennium. And if you were there, you know you were there. If you weren't, as the 21st century marches on, there is it time for us to put the old book away. Because it's already fading out. We see that in the stats. People who even believe in God aren't reading it as much or trusting it much less. And many more today are being convinced that the book is really just a book written by uh, human hands. This is uh, from a website uh, uh, that celebrates humanism. And they are absolutely convinced that the book was written by human hands, but in an ignorant, superstitious, and cruel age because it is written in an unenlightened era. In other words, they were foolish back then. The Bible, therefore, contains many errors and harmful teachings. Ooh, that's harsh. Now, I do find it, again, ironic. I would love to sit down and have coffee with uh, uh, Joseph, who wrote this, uh, representing the organization, because it's interesting that a humanist would be criticizing other humans for writing something, but okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. The main point here is that there is a, a marked decrease in our culture today, in our modern culture, that has a continuing decrease in scriptures as true or authoritative, and that is true among U.S. adults, and to a lesser degree, even among those of us who say that we are believers. So as I consider this question of can the Bible still continue to have relevance, or can my clicker ever click? I'm going to figure this out myself. Maybe it's that angle. I have to ask you these questions. Can we really get away from the influence of Scripture in our culture? Can the Bible and its teachings just sort of fade away into the distance? Can we really have a better, a more enlightened sense of the world without the understanding, the timeless wisdom of God as told by his word and preserved over the many centuries? Could the Bible actually be instead the foundation, the foundation of modern thinking and prosperity, and we don't even recognize it anymore? Is it possible the Bible is the thing that's causing us to experience better hope in a future, but we don't recognize it always. I think a good metaphor is maybe this church, which I'm so excited to work here because it has such a rich and deep history. You know, earlier when we were in the prayer room this morning and praying for the services, uh, us pastors, I was just thinking, man, how many, you know, Sundays have pastors long before I got here, long before even Lars got here, has been the longest serving, gathered in that room and prayed on a Sunday morning for the people as they gather. You know, we have some members who have been here for a number of decades. We have, it's what I, another great thing, and it was interesting to see out in the garden court uh, from fellowship time, some of those who have been here for a long time in first service intermingling with people who are just here new. And it's easy to forget that. 
right, that this church has a history. Because when you come into it, you're like, oh, it's nice. They have nice screens and nice things. You don't recognize always that there was a, a, a long story of faith and toil and sacrifice and prayers and hope that went into not only building this church up, but sustaining it through lots of cultural shift and changes in the community so that we could have a place today to gather. We don't think of that sometimes. It's easy to kind of walk in and think, oh, this is a nice place, and it is. It's a nice place that continues its story built on the shoulders of those who were here before us. Likewise, when we consider our modern civilization and we think about some of the principles of a just society, we may be pursuing those in our culture without recognizing where they came from, where their roots are. Today, for example, we have a heightened value of, of human rights, the innate dignity of all people. That's so good. We need to celebrate that. We also become more aware that we need to provide equal opportunities to everybody and to ensure equity, which is fairness and education or potential for someone to reach their potential and even to prosper in our culture. Today, there's more urgency and desire around figuring out how do we care for the poor? How do we care for the poor or especially those who are marginalized in our culture? And all of this seems impassioned because it seems so new and it seems so enlightened. It seems like, hey, we're finally getting our act together. But these things actually built up from roots that have been in place ever since, just as it was written 2,000 years ago when Paul said, I, just, I hope that the words of truth and the gospel are, are gaining roots and bearing good fruit in all the world as it is among you. These values that modernity celebrates today actually emerge from bigger, bigger uh, biblical values. And I love when Paul was at the Areopagus in Greece and he was looking then at all of their statues of prosperity and wealth and things that they had to help ensure their uh, sense of um, fertility and all these testaments of greatness to Greece's emerging you know, uh, culture of wisdom and enlightenment. He looked at those and he said to them, you know, I see in these, these uh, constructions how extremely religious you are in every way. You seek for something greater than yourselves. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. And guess what? They didn't even really know it at the time. He was, in, he was opening their minds up to the, to the roots of what they were pursuing was actually found in the God of Scripture. So when we look at these roots, we realize that this urgency that we have to elevate human rights arises from a foundation of human dignity that has always been a part of the biblical story from the very beginning of it in Scripture, where there is nothing. And it is God who gives life and breath and gifting and call to humankind. Go, he says, and prosper. Go and multiply. Go and subdue. There's a human dignity there because we're part of God's story from the very beginning 
And that sense of human dignity continues all the way through the scriptures. And then you get this really beautiful moment where God comes down into his creation, not standing over us in another different form of God, but instead he takes on the form of a, a man, a human being. Because there's a dignity, there's a goodness to the human form that he was not ashamed to be found as a human, both God and human. That's how much God loves the world, that he came and blessed us in human form. This is why every person, every person uniquely matters, because we are still made in his image, each one of us an image bearer of God. You know, I think back again to the roots of this church, which was primarily trying to reach out to the Swedish immigrants that were abundant here, and they were very successful in that, but always in their hearts were to continue to reach to the diversity, the emerging diversity of the culture around them. If it were possible to go back 120 years ago and pluck one of those uh, founders of our church or pillars of our church and bring them here this morning and let them see the rich diversity of our outreach today, I'm sure they would be shocked and I'm sure they would be excited because we're continuing the story of dignity and progressing with the good news in an expanding culture. And it's so wonderful that we get to celebrate the good news here together in our diversity. The appeal that culture has to opportunity and equity comes from the legacy of scripture also, which has always been about learning and discerning. The call of the biblical story, especially among God's people, is to help them learn the word and discern the word. That's why there's an emphasis in the Christian tradition of engaging God's word in community. This is why we do Bible studies and things. We want to teach everyone in the church to read it for themselves and reason it, to be able to think through things and, and apply it in the challenging and changing times we live in. I think about a great passage that I love in Nehemiah chapter 8, when all the people, it says, gathered together in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the prophet, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses before them. That's the book that the Lord had given to Israel. Now listen to this. Accordingly, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, and both men and women and all who could hear it listened with understanding. And it's a beautiful moment of reclaiming God's truth in his word. But you notice the leaders didn't just listen to it on their own and come back and kind of regurgitate it over the people. This is part of our biblical tradition, gathering the people together and declaring the word and discerning it together. We desire as Christians always in God's story to encourage literacy and thinking so that you can hear the word, read it for yourself, and also come to shared understanding together. This is why, by the way, thousands and thousands of years later, those elders at the church were like, dude, did you read your Bible? Did you read it? Are you reading it yet? You got to read your Bible. Because this is what has given shape to God's people for all time. I have a friend uh, who passed away uh, some years ago, and he was a missionary in Tanzania, especially to orphans, like the most forgotten, you know, kids that were just running in the streets without parents. Nobody cared for them. 
he brought in a, a team and started to develop community on helping to care for these most forgotten kids. Why? Because he believed in their human dignity. Didn't want to forget them. But in his, uh, in his ministry, he said, you know, we, we really do three things. We're about, um, we're about uh, giving them medicine. We're about feeding them, medical care, feeding them, and also literacy. And I was like, ah, and he's like, and the thing that we really emphasize the most, I was like, food. And he said, no. Literacy. We have to teach these kids how to read. Because if they learn how to read first, they can begin to perceive their own value and they take the food with more eagerness and the medicine works even stronger. You have to teach them how to read because educating them helps them learn their own value. And that's, that's struck me ever since, this idea that Literacy and education really emerges from a biblical foundation of teaching people, teaching people to read and embrace and understand and reason through God's word together. Our desire for uh, caring, excuse me, and compassion flows from a historical appeal from Scripture for justice and compassion and mercy. Our desire for caring today in our modern world emerges from a historic appeal in Scripture for justice, compassion, and mercy that calls all believers to seek the welfare of the city I have sent you in exile and pray to God, pray to the Lord on its behalf of the city you live in, wherever it is, for its welfare, and there you will also find welfare. That's Jeremiah 29, 7. Jesus echoed that same teaching, sending the, uh, the disciples out on mission into all the world. And he taught about caring for the orphans, the widows, and the imprisoned. He taught us to bless those who persecute you, to pray for those even who are your enemies. This is why the roots of benevolence run so deep in the church, which is unique, by the way, to the Christian story. This love and care for all and the human dignity and the desire to see them flourish. This is why the church early on and historically has been the one that's provided for hospital care and run food pantries and given shelter to the poor, which I actually feel is a, a vision that needs to be continued to reclaim here in the church. My point is that these, these roots of modernity, of how we're going to continue to build forward, emerge not in spite of, but from an understanding of Scripture of who God made us to be and what he's called us to have. Now, again, this is some foundational stuff. We're going to explore this a little bit more next week as we talk about the distinction between morality and righteousness. But I want to share you this perspective from a, a, a really great book that Joy recommended. It's called The Book That Made Your World, how the Bible uh, created the soul of Western civilization. And what's particularly interesting about this author, Vishal Mangawadi, is he was a non-believer and a philosophy student in India. And before I get to his quote, he started to read the first page of the Bible. He was just curious about it because he had seen it kind of out. And he was so struck by the creation story that he started to think that actually made more sense to him than any other origin story he had been exposed to. It made more sense to understand who he was as a person that led him down a faith path that ultimately he surrendered his life to Christ and now uses his, his great wisdom and philosophy, applying it to the defense of Scripture 
as relevant still in today's modern world and continuing. And he writes, the Bible is the soul of Western civilization because it propelled the development of everything good in the West. Its notion of human dignity, human rights, human equality, justice, optimism, heroism, rationality, family, education, universities, technology, science, the culture of compassion, great literature, heroism, economic progress, political freedom, just to name a few, just off the top of his head. As we continue and we imagine this question, does the Bible still have relevance in modern culture? I have to make this more personal. Does the Bible still have relevance in your heart today? Is the Bible still relevant to you? Have you submitted yourself to the wisdom of Scripture? Is the gospel, is God's word of truth growing in you? Is it bearing roots and is it continuing to bear fruit in your life? Are you nurturing your faith with God's word daily? It's easy to think it's just some weird book, but it actually is the story of God and it's the story of all of us for all time. And it's, its reality is actually inescapable because the Bible wants to tell us who we are, why we matter, and what is our purpose. And it's a continuing story, but it all begins in creation where we recognize that this is a story not just of the Jews and not just of religious people and not just church people. All are created by God. This is our origin story, all of us. And God gives us life and he gives us breath and he loves us because we also bear his image. All are created. Which is why we have this sense in our heart that everything should be right. We're born with the sense of rightness, but all are fallen. It's the second page of scripture. We're literally all hell breaks loose in our hearts and in creation. All are fallen. There's sinfulness, there's brokenness in the world that I don't have to demonstrate to you is true. You experience it, and if you're really honest, we continue it, we perpetuate it, we, we do it. All are pursued, which I find is a fascinating way to compress the story of the Old Testament. God makes a promise in the face of our brokenness, I will come find you, I will rescue you. And he carries that story, that promise, all the way through the Old Testament story because he has you in mind. He always wanted to bless the Jews with the intention of blessing all the world with redemption. And then all are called. That's the story of the Gospels. God comes, not that we have to be after him. We don't have, we'll never rise to the point of him. He comes down to us in the form of a human. It's here and he lives and he walks and he teaches and he says, I'm gonna, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you. So the penalty of your sin is paid. And we can now have fellowship together, once again, together. All are called to respond to that gospel, to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. That's the means in which he reconciled. He died for us in his flesh, raised on the third day, validating everything that he said, and he invited us into his kingdom by faith. Thereby, all may be redeemed. All which is why he told us to take this good news, this word of truth, into all the world and preach it, because it's not just for us. It's for all. And so we, give that, we take that message forward, living out a purpose in his divine story, carrying on his teachings, being directed by the Spirit, doing things together in heart, mind, and deed 
to give glory to him and so more people can find and see the gospel is true and then all have hope. Oh, that's the great letters in the back, the visions, those poems and poetries that call for, hey, not only is today going to be great, but one day Jesus is going to come back and that itch that we have to make all things right and good and faithful and true is going to come to reality. But it's only in Christ. All have hope. Amen? Resource page for you if you're interested. If you're, if you're a young person, you're like, I just don't know where to start. The Bible Project is great. It has awesome videos on there to help you understand what is the basics of Scripture and how to read it and why. If you don't have the Bible app on your phone, please download it now. If you have it on, open it. Put it on your homepage. Put it on your front and let it notify you. Start to do a Bible study this summer. You can even do it with friends. It's available, of course, at Apple Android. If you want to go a little deeper into this kind of thinking of like how does the Bible fit in today's culture, I love, and a couple of you are already listening to, Premier Unbelievable Podcast. You can just search. They have years and years of great content, really well done, very well researched, uh, and that is Bible relevance. You can just search that. I found mountains of un great stuff to listen to. And there's that book that I was citing from the book that made your world, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization by Vishal Magawadi. I, can't, I would love to meet him. That would be great. But I also want to give you another resource today. If you're here and you're like, oh, got to read your Bible. I know, I know, I know. I would love to help you. We have Bibles around that I'd love to help you with. I mean, here's, here's one New Testament starting with the Gospels. Here's another whole New Testament. Very easy to read, very discernible. But I have these ones that are very precious to me. So the, the day that I came to faith, and I said, yes, I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to follow Jesus. A friend of mine gave me a New Believer's Bible, exactly the same one, different cover, and said, here, read this. And I picked it up, and I started to read it, and it changed my life. It's still changing my life. If you're here and you want to begin fresh, a fresh relationship with God, a fresh relationship with Jesus as your Savior, and your Lord, I would love to help you by giving you one of these. I have more. You can come up after the worship at the end of the service if you'd like. I'd love to pray for you and present you with either one of these because this is how we continue to grow in confidence in our faith, in the story that we find ourselves in. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be here. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship, to consider the arts and music. God, we thank you for the opportunity to consider your ancient word, which is not irrelevant, which is not fading away, which still is a word of truth that is deeply rooted in our culture and that everything that is good emerges from it, even if we've forgotten that story. Lord, I pray for hearts and minds today to be awakened to the reality that we need to feed on your word daily. We need it in order to stay strong in our faith. And then, Father, help us to carry that good news into a world that's desperate to know why things matter, why people matter, what we can do about brokenness. Help us, Father, to always keep one hand on Scripture and the other in outreach, serving and caring and loving. And we glorify you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. We thank you for your presence here today in your name. Amen.